0: Assalamu alaikum alaykum wa this is Abdul Rahman Murphy, and you are listening to our latest heartwork series called Becoming a Friend of Allah, Lessons from the Life of Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. If you benefit from and appreciate the work that we do here at Roots, please consider becoming a sustainer at rootsdfw.org slash sustain. Your contributions go a very long way in supporting the work that we do. And if you're ever in the Dallas area, please give us the honor of being able to host you. We'll have a cup of coffee for you at Suhba inshallah and we'll be able to welcome you home in person. Assalamu alaikum wa, wa Okay, bismillah. Welcome home everybody. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wassalamu ala wa ala, Allah, wa, ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. How's everybody? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. It's good to see everybody. Welcome back. I know last week we had uh Sheikh Asr visiting us uh as a guest, alhamdulillah, and um we were able to cover a lot. I know that Mashallah, because of his knowledge, you know, he, he was picking different points of reference from across the story of Ibrahim. So tonight what we're gonna do is we're gonna go back a little bit and we're going to, inshallah, uh, finish up kind of the, the jump. Right? So the first part we read was uh, from the Surah Al-An'am. That was the initial conversation that Ibrahim was having with his father. And again, in a different place in the Quran, in Sultan Anbiya, Allah gives us a different perspective on that very same conversation and also continues it and gives us the extension of it to kind of also take some different extractions from it. Okay. But before we begin, I wanted to ask you guys, what are some things that you, for the first two sessions, what are some things that you recall, some things that are, that resonated with you? Obviously there's been a lot that's been said, but I want to hear what are some things that you heard that clicked? Or maybe you wrote down. Anybody? Yes. Amen. Yes. So we're doing that today, inshallah. So Angel Jibril came and asked Ibrahim in the middle of his trial if he needed any help. And he referred that he only needs Allah. We're going to talk about that, that very instance today, inshallah. Okay. What else? What other things? Yeah. Beautiful. Your quality is not based on the quantity of followers or people that you have. Our, your quality as a person is actually not at all tied to any numerical value. And, and there's a beautiful statement that we're going to talk about when Ibrahim is in the fire. A narration says that he was making du'a to Allah and he said something so powerful. I read it and I, I was literally sitting with Sheikh Mahmoud in the, and I, we, I just stopped and I read it to him and I said, how amazing is that? That he basically has this moment of, of vulnerability, this like real moment, where he identifies and understands that he's alone. And if anyone in this room has ever felt for any reason alone because of any religious choice or any moral choice that you make that has led you to feel loneliness, right? You didn't go where everyone else was going or you didn't do what everyone else was doing and you decided then to, you know, opt out. But socially you felt the ramifications of that. Maybe spiritually for that moment you felt proud of yourself, but then this, the social ramifications kind of start to set in. There's a statement here that we're going to go over inshallah that Ibrahim says that hopefully will give us some nice relief. What else? What are some other things? that we've heard so far? Anything, I know it's only been two sessions, but we've covered a lot. Yeah, Um, Nadia. Beautiful, yeah. Sheikh Yasser said that don't let your sins stop you from doing good in the future, right? And that's one of the things that the people that Ibrahim is speaking to, his people, That's one of the mistakes that they made was that they basically doubled down. I was talking to somebody yesterday about how I interact with my son Musa and I always tell him like, you're always just one good decision away from having a good day. It's just one good decision. If you keep compounding your day with bad choices, you're going to inevitably have a horrible day. But even if you start off the day poorly, you're just one good choice away from turning it around. And that's the beautiful thing about Allah. Allah Ta'ala does not say... That you have to make up for everything. And in fact, in al Furqan, Allah actually says, wa amana, wa amila amalun Allah says that for a person that has done and, and the sins that He mentioned in this passage were things like zina, right? Fornication, murder, stealing, oppression. He mentions all of them, all the big ones. And then he says that this person is doomed, like if this person just lives their life flagrantly with no sadness, no, uh, uh, no remorse, they're doomed. But then he says, except for those people that what, تابة, They repent. amana They reaffirm their belief, which is part of the effect of repentance. You know when you say Astaghfirullah and you feel that feeling of like cleanliness coming over your heart. That's Iman being restored back into the heart. Like when, you, when you're really thirsty and you drink water, and you're so, I want you to think of like Ramadan. Can you guys just say Alhamdulillah that Ramadan is in April and not in August, right? Thank you, Allah. We don't deserve it, right? You're so kind, man, 110 degrees, subhanAllah. I don't know how long it's gonna take to get back to summer, uh, but I hope that I am uh, ineligible to fast by that point due to old age. Because I don't know if I can take it, right? I don't know if I can take it. No, stuff for a lot. May Allah Taala always allow us to enjoy the month. But I want you to think of that first sip of cold water, or for you addicts, ruhavza. Okay, you can't control yourself. That first sip, it actually feels like, and I, this is, ever since I was a kid, I imagine this. It feels like you're 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 your like, uh, throat and your stomach and all of the inside is like a desert and that the water is just coating it with moisture on its way down. You can actually feel it restoring life back into you. And so that, that moment of restoration is what happens to your heart when you make repentance to Allah. When you ask Allah to forgive you, it's the same as like water that's giving nourishment to the dry, parched throat and stomach of a person, right? And so, إِلَّا مَنْ wa amana. So as a result of that repentance, they feel reconnected to Allah and their belief is firm. وَعَمِلَ عَمِلًا صَالِحًا And then they want to come back and do good. They want to do something good, even if it's small. They made a mistake, they repent, and they want to fix it up. They want to do something good. فَأُولَٰئِكَ يُبَدِّلَ اللَّهُ حَسَنَاتِ Allah does this incredible thing. He doesn't just forgive you. That'd be good enough. It'd be good enough if Allah just forgave you. Allah says that if you follow this process, He will not only forgive you, but He will take the entire value of all the sins you've ever done. Allah Ta'ala will actually exchange it. He'll flip it. And every single sin you've done actually now rests in your good deeds, as in your scale of good deeds. That Allah Ta'ala will do that. So, a person, when they come to realize that they need to get right with Allah, they're not starting from zero. That would be good enough. If you have debt with somebody and they say, you know what? No more debt. I'll erase all of your debt. That's good enough. But now imagine that they say, I'm not going to erase your debt. I'm going to give you a ton of money to get started with. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does. So everybody start this process. We say, Astaghfirullah. We say, La ilaha illallah. And then we do a good deed. And we realize that Allah exchanges all of that for us. Okay. Let's keep going inshallah, with the story. So on the screen now you see here Surat Al-Anbiya. The the story now has a different lens. You guys ever watched like a good movie, Chris Nolan, right? So you've seen the camera work is essential. And that's what's happening here. Surat Al-An'am was one camera on the scene. Surat Al-Anbiya now is another camera. Same scene, same actors, right? Same people, but just a different perspective. You're hearing something a little bit different. And so now Ibrahim is having this conversation. It's قَالَ لِأَبِيهِ وَقَوْمِهِ He says, when he says to his father and his people, what are you doing? What are you worshipping? What are you doing? التماثيل أَلَّتِي أَنْتُمْ لَهَا أَعْكِفُونَ That, why are you devoting yourself to this? And this is a good point. We always say this, right? It's easy for us to excuse shirk as like, oh, no one's going to actually worship anything else besides God. Worship is devoted only for Allah. It's easy for us to think that we're safe from this. But notice the word, the verb he uses here is not ibada. He doesn't say laha abidun. He says laha akifun. That you are devoted to it. What are you devoted to that pulls you away from Allah, from your prayers? For for many of us, it's like career, right? Social life. How many of you guys have ever hung out really late with a group of friends before? So late that you're debating like Fajr. You're like, all right, we know we might just stay up. Right, you enter the danger zone. You know it's so interesting, subhanAllah. I always wonder about when we hang out late and then we look at our clock or our watch or whatever and we say, Ah, I gotta go. And we leave the gathering after having like food or playing like katan or playing games together, or having conversation, and we don't get up and take three, four minutes to pray isha together. Like, it's always boggled my mind. And I'm also, by the way, a perpetrator of this problem, which is you're hanging out, you're having a good time, alhamdulillah, halal, good fun. But at the end of it, everyone's like, I'm so tired, I got to go. As if there's no concept of like, you know what, we just spent so much time playing another round, right, having more food, having more conversation, watching another YouTube video of another cat jumping on somebody, or another this or that. Like, could we not have just cut off four minutes early and prayed to Allah? Because sometimes we're so devoted to the social life that we forget about Allah. We're so devoted to hanging out. We're so devoted to our career. We're so devoted to even family. Even family, subhanAllah. I will buy my children more and more and more toys, and then when I see, when I see like an ad for donating to charity for children who have nothing, I'm like, Allah help them. Well, maybe Allah put you here to help them, right? Like you go to to your kid's toy room and you find all the toys you bought them untouched and then you find Tupperware and wood spoons. Your kid is letting you know they wanted to be Amish from day one. (laughs) You're like, I bought you this. Why aren't you playing with it? They're like, no. And then subhanAllah, but when it comes to donating, when it comes to giving that wealth for something else, more noble, right? You're like, I don't know. I want to save up for this car. I want to do this or that, right? So, If you want to see your relationship with Allah, you got to measure how devoted you are to Him. Fasting in Ramadan, alhamdulillah. How many of us struggle fasting outside Ramadan? Anybody? Okay, like if I told you, hey, let's all fast tomorrow. And some people like you're on this new, oh, I only eat one meal a day, intermittent fasting. There's a term for it now, OMAD. Have you heard of this? OMAD, one meal a day. It's basically describing the Prophet right? But you know what's crazy? So fasting is something that popular culture already now is adopting. Calorie deficits. Just fast. Only eat from this to this time. We're like, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's Islam, right? But you know what's crazy? Our devotion to coffee and coffee culture is crazy. Like, we can't fast outside of Ramadan. Because why? Because I need my Starbees, man. I need my... Espresso, brown sugar shaken with oat milk. How do you even milk an oat? I never even, still haven't realized this. Where are the udders? Anyway, so the point being is that if we measure logically and very rationally our devotion to other things and then we measure that up against Allah, it shouldn't even be a contest. Now, we're, we're not perfect. We're not, we're not perfect. So we do struggle. May Allah forgive us. And we always have to have that internal tug of war. But I'll tell you something. While you may not be perfect, and I'm not, and no one is, you can definitely feel progress when you can win those battles a lot quicker and a lot more easy than you did before. The battle to get up and pray may not ever go away, but it'll become easier and quicker and more smooth with less tension, less irritation, less of that pull inside of you. So check your devotion to everything else besides Allah if you want to clear off the path, right? We're on this path to Allah, but there's things in the way. We just got to clear it off. Move things to the side. Move things around a little bit. Okay? So then they say, وَجَدَنَا أَبَاءَنَا لَهُ They say, oh, well, we do this because we saw our, our, our forefathers, like our entire community was doing this stuff. And I, I, tr- I tried to... I tried to breach this topic with Sheik Yasser last week, but we ran out of time. What's one of the things that's so interesting about this is that when it comes to culture, when it comes to tradition, your critical mind, the thing that you think with and make decisions with, sometimes goes into autopilot. And we only do things because it's what everyone else is doing. We only wear something because it's what everyone else is wearing. You know what's so interesting about economy and how things cost? You know what things cost? is that supply and demand ultimately, in economics, supply and demand, the thing that drives what costs what, is ultimately in the hands of people, right? As a consumer, you're the one that actually controls that. What happens if a company makes a bunch of t-shirts and they don't sell? What happens in like six weeks? Sale. Why? They gotta get rid of their product, right? But it's interesting subhanAllah because our addiction to things and our just tacit taking on of things actually without thinking critically about whether or not we need them or are they valuable is giving benefit and value to things that actually are valueless i'll never forget when kanye made a white t-shirt it was a hundred dollars it was a hundred dollars and i have to tell you like i actually met someone who bought one as if kanye west himself was going to deliver it to his house like he felt so proud he's like i bought a t-shirt that Kanye produced, right? And I didn't want to tell him, like, guess what? It was a Hanes t-shirt, and they just put Kanye's name on it or something, right? This kind of, like, you know, nowadays the kids say NPC, right? This kind of bot behavior where we just, no, no, I'm being 100% serious, man. Don't become a spiritual NPC. Don't become a bot that just takes in what everyone else is doing without thinking about it. Right, become a little bit stronger in your heart, and your soul. Ask yourself, like, why am I doing this? Why do I think this is cool? Right? And it's interesting. Like, my son is six years old, and today he actually t- he actually um, he came up to me. He goes, "Baba," I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Did the iPhone 15 uh, drop yet?" <laughs> and I go, and "I just answer." I go, "No, it didn't." He goes, "No, no, Baba, did it drop?" And I go. It did not come out yet. He goes, yeah, drop means come out. (laughs) Because he learned this, right? Okay. And I asked him, I said, where'd you learn this from? He said, I don't know. We laugh, but we're the same way. Why are you doing this? Why do you say that? Why do you think that's cool? Why do you watch that stuff? Why do you share it? For many of us, the answer to all these questions is, I don't know, everyone else is. Why did you see Barbie? Why did you wear pink that day? Why did you post it? Think about it. Do you think that you would have seen that movie if you didn't see everyone else going to see it? Do you think maybe you could have at least waited to watch it in the comfort of your own home if you didn't see every single person you know buy something from Zara that was pink? And go and line up and then peel away from each other and watch that. Did you? This is what subhanAllah what marketing does to us. We become passive consumers that don't think about this stuff. And then you end up having way more than you need. You end up spending way more than you can afford. And you end up regretting way more than you should. Why? (laughs) We just saw people doing it. So part of the challenge that Ibrahim is dealing with here is not just the fact that these people are committing shirk, but they're not even able to think about why they're committing shirk. He's asking them a logical question, and they're not able to reason with him. Like he's willing to have a conversation. This idol can't hear you. It can't help you. It can't harm you. This thing you're worshiping can't do anything. Why are you doing this? And instead of answering the question, what do they say? They say, what? We, look, man, we're just doing what we saw other people do. So the Muslim is more in this scenario like Ibrahim than they are like his people. The Muslim should never get caught dead saying, what, I'm just doing it because everyone else is. The only place that that's a safe answer is in Tawaf or in Hajj. Why are you walking like that? I'm just walking that way because everyone else is walking that way. right? If you're in a good enough environment, then you can adopt what people are doing. Hang out with righteous people, and then you can say, you know what? I'm just going to do what they're doing. People praying for the first time don't know how to pray salah? What do we tell them? Just do what I do. But if your environment is not certified, righteous, close to Allah, on the straight path, that you are inspired by their taqwa, then you can't default to, I'm just going to do what everyone else is doing. May Allah put us with good friends. Right? And then he says, well, this is what he brings up. He says what? He says, He says, well, I hate to break it to you. And maybe this is also Ibrahim, by the way, listen to this. Perhaps this is Prophet Ibrahim being empathetic. Instead of him being like, you guys are dumb. He says, well, maybe it's not your fault, maybe, but maybe you guys and the people you're following, you guys are mistaken. Like you should have, You should have filtered out whatever process you were doing. You should have thought about it. You guys were in clear error. So then they challenge him. They become upset and frustrated. And I want you guys to really carefully listen to this. Because in your life as a Muslim, you will be in scenarios and environments where your adherence to your faith will be called foolish, dogmatic, How could you think? You're so smart. How could you be a a follower of religion? You're so intelligent, right? And this might come from people that are not Muslim, and it might actually even come from people that are like within your own family. Look who's saying this to Ibrahim. It's his own, it's his father and his people, his neighbors, his uncles, his people that are around him. What do they say to him? They say what? They said, All right, listen, have you come to us with something worth talking about? Or are you just messing around? You're nothing but causing trouble right now. That's it. Mocking this message that he's coming with. Why? Not because they actually had an argument, but because he's starting now to, he's hitting a nerve. And ultimately, when somebody says something to you like that, the response, and Allah Ta'ala says this in the Quran, He says, Do not ever curse those that are worshipped besides Allah. The response when somebody mocks your devotion, your faith, is never to curse that person back. Why? Because Allah says, you're going to drag that person into a fight that's going to inevitably be bad for them. What does Allah Ta'ala say? He says, leave them. When the, when the people of, of, of Jahalat, of, of Jahiliya come to you and they start talking to you, then all you do what? You say, Salam. I'm out. Ibrahim alayhi is being egged on by these people because he had a nerve within them and they can't rationalize with him. So then he says, Qala, Bel, no. What you're doing is actually you're deflecting now. Rabbukum. Wal-ard, ala min he says, No, I am actually here to tell you about God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Remember, they worshipped what? They worship the stars and the sun and the moon. And he went through this whole process with them to explain to them that this worship is not logical. It doesn't make sense to worship something that disappears, that vanishes from you, that can't help you, that can't be present in your life. The stars are there at night and then they disappear as soon as the first sign of dawn comes, the stars start to disappear. The sun comes up. And then it's there for 12 hours, and then what happens? At Maghrib time, at sunset, it disappears. The moon is present at night, and then it disappears. These things don't make sense to worship. How can you worship something that's not there with you, that can't help you, that can't aid you? In fact, he says, what? Allah is the one who created all of this. The one you should be worshiping is the creator of all of this. And he says, and I'm the one that actually bears witness to this. I'm the one that bears witness. And then he says, by Allah... Right, after giving them chance after chance after chance, he says, I'm gonna do something that's gonna wake you up. Because now this is at the point where he's talked to them, he spent time with them, and he says, I'm going to plot against your idols after you have turned your backs away. So, what did he do? That he broke all of the idols and he gave the biggest one the actual uh, uh, axe or the item that he used. And then he says what? So that they could come back to it and they could see the situation. Qalu, They protested. مَن Who did this when they got back? Who broke all of our idols? To our ilah. SubhanAllah. It's so interesting. They're literally saying, who destroyed our God? Right? It's almost like he wanted them to utter those words so that they could understand how that didn't make sense. Who destroyed our gods? They must be a wrongdoer. One of them calls out, or a few of them call out, "Sema'na fata yuqalu lahu Ibrahim." He says that I remember there was a young guy that people said that he, or he was speaking ill of them. His name was Ibrahim. So they go and they bring him in front, bring him to us, so that we can hold the trial of his action and we can see if he's guilty. Then they ask him, Did you do this to our gods?" And this is what Sheikh Yasser mentioned last week. A couple interpretations for this. Number one, he was not yet a prophet. So this Tawriya, this little tongue-in-cheek that he does, is not considered lying. But the second thing is that he's almost rhetorically giving them the answer. It's obvious that he did it. It's obvious he did it. But he says, Qala, bel. And bel in Arabic can either be seriously rejection or sarcastic. And so he's answering here sarcastically. You even see it in the translation, he replied sarcastically, No. That The biggest one did it. Look, he's holding the axe. And then he says what? فَاسْأَلُوهُمْ إِنْ Why don't you go ask this God that you are worshipping? If they can talk. If they can defend themselves. How this happened to them. ila We made this point last week. They retreated inwards. Think to yourself, man. When someone shows you a mirror of your mistake and you see yourself, it's like my, my biggest threat to my kids is <laughs> when they do something wrong, I go, I'm pulling up the Nest Cam. We have a, we have a home security system. And I go, who, who did this? Who hit who first? And both kids are screaming and they go, mm, and they point at each other. And usually, I'm gonna be honest with you, it's Iman, she's four. Usually it's her, she's tough. I have a hilarious story, subhanAllah, she's so tough. Uh, her first day of school, as she was eating breakfast. I said, Iman, are you nervous? She goes, no, Baba. I said, yeah, because you're a tough cookie. She goes, I'm not a cookie, but I am tough, Baba. <laughs> she's tough, man, that little girl. Allah protect her and us, subhanAllah. Okay, she's sweet, mashallah. So usually they fight and I go, I'm pulling up the Nest Cam. And as soon as I say that, like when I'm trying to figure out, hey, tell me, tell me who did it, please, let's talk, let's talk. They're like, "Mm." hmm. I'm pulling up the camera footage. They're like, no. And they're both like, okay, I did it. And they admit it, right? Whoever started, whoever fought. SubhanAllah, everyone has that moment. Everyone has a moment when they're shown the error in their ways. Like we all know. You know when you're debating somebody and then they make that point that just shows you how wrong you are and you're like, dang. And then your only comeback is like, well, you're ugly. <laughs> That's the only thing you can say. You're like, you look terrible right now. That's the only, like, because you're like, at this point, ad hominem, welcome. Like, uh, population, me. Like, I just got to go at you. I can't actually, because you won. You won. So this is the point now. They're reaching. He said, why don't you ask them? Can't they talk to you? They, like, turned internally. The Quran is so beautiful. They, like, oh. They, like, fell, right? فقاروا. In entum ofmun. They're speaking to each other. You're right. We are the ones. you speaking to one another. You're the one that made the mistake. You called him a wrongdoer, but he just checkmated us. It's beyond, it's beyond any argumentation now. You are the ones who are a wrongdoer. him. But then they jumped back. And this is the exact example, Subhanallah. This is the exact example of the sunnah of who? Of Shaytan. This is exactly how Shaytan behaves. Shaytan hates conceding, and he wants to make you hate conceding. Shaitan hates that. Shaytan loves to make the nefs want to keep fighting. When the battle is already done, it's already over, like you've already lost. The most humiliating thing you can do, like even in war, historically, you read about what? When the general comes out and surrenders. Even in surrender, there's honor, right? Like it's foolish for a person to keep fighting when you've lost. It makes no sense. And even if you watch like a movie before where you've seen a battle scene and that egomaniac general keeps fighting, there's almost a sense as a viewer of like why you've lost. But these people, instead of conceding with honor, and you know what's crazy? If you humble yourself in that moment, Allah raises you. The honor you're chasing is not by keeping fighting with Allah. The honor you're chasing is by returning to Allah. You know, Allah is so interesting, so unique. He's the only one in the world, in our existence, He's the only being, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that when when you are ashamed that you've gone away from him, you, the, the best result is to run back to him. Normally when we've wronged somebody, we need to run away. We need to create space. I can't let you see me. I, can't, I don't want to make eye contact. I don't want to engage because I'm so embarrassed. But the embarrassment you have with Allah is unique in that you go straight back to him as soon as you can. And that's why the only example that the Prophet gives of the mercy of Allah is the mercy of the mother, because that's the closest thing that we as humans know. Is that your mother is the only one, generally, the only one that will accept you unconditionally. In fact, even while she's still upset with you, will hit you with one hand, sorry, and will hug you with the other. I once, <laughs> I once was talking to this. I'm, I'm, I shouldn't be laughing. I was talking to this mom that came to me and she started crying. I said, why are you crying? She goes, I'm crying because I hit my kids and I love them so much. And she's like, I hit them because I I want them to be good. It spanks them, right? I'm not advocating for this, by the way. Not once have I hit my children, alhamdulillah. But she does. You know, the chupples are not for walking. Let's just put it that way. Okay. The sandals are not for walking only. She was crying, and she said, I I hit them, but I love them so much. She goes, I hit them, and then after they go to sleep, I look at pictures of them. And she goes, and I feel like humiliated, right? That's a mother. Now, again, I'm not, let's not go too deep. Let's not unpack this too much, right? But let's just say that as an archetype, the mother is the individual that even when they are at their wits end with their children, they still love them. Now Allah Ta'ala does not experience what mothers experience. There is no at his wits end with But even when a person has neglected Allah for their entire life, all it takes is one Allah from the lips of that person to come back to him. That's all it takes. Just one moment where you utter his name. You say, Alhamdulillah, Astaghfirullah. That's it. And that entire journey that you've been going on away from him, you get the, you get the fast track right back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But shaitan doesn't want that. And so shaitan wants you to despair. He wants you to lose hope. He wants you to think that you have time. He wants you to think that you're too busy. He wants you to think that you don't know enough. He, wants, he places these doubts in your mind, in your heart. And then you what? Instead of turning back, you dig your heels in. It's basically the same phrase. They turn back on their heads. Snapped out of it. Okay? We know. You guys know that these things can't talk. Don't act surprised. You knew this to begin with. He didn't make a good point. You understood this. Ibrahim says to them, Do you guys really worship other than Allah? لَا يَنْفَعُكُمْ This thing that cannot benefit you at all. وَلَا يَضُرُكُمْ And it can't even harm you. You are the one that created it. You are the one that fashioned it. And you are the one that worship it. But it literally cannot do anything for you. Again, he's engaging with them. أُفْن لَكُمْ Come on guys, shame on you. Can't you think straight? مِن Shame on you and whatever you worship besides Allah. You know what's crazy? There are hadith, there are narrations that say that on the day of judgment, the idols themselves will be given life and they will say, Oh Allah, we never told them to worship us. <laughs> Can you imagine? Isa, Jesus is going to show up and he's going to be asked, Did you tell all those people to claim that you were the son of God? And he's going to say, "Ya yeah Allah, well Allah, I never did. So even the things that we devote ourselves to, Right? Even those very things will testify against us on the day. May Allah Allah protect us. May Allah protect us. The career that we worshipped, right? The diploma that we hung higher than the Mus'haf. You know, some people build out offices in their homes where they can have their diplomas and they never use them because you work from bed anyways. But instead of having like a small room where you can put a prayer rug and have Mus'haf. Instead of like, think about that. Think about that. When you're looking at your next apartment or your next home or your first home or whatever, ask yourself, do I first check everything else, the amenities, man? I want to check on the square footage, the bathroom, this and this this, or do I check the qibla? Do I look for like where the nearest Kroger is? Does the target nearby have drive up? Because we all know we can't live without that joint anymore. Target drive up is something that, subhanAllah, yeah, may Allah Ta'ala bless them right and give them more (laughs) for target drive up do you look at the target location how far is it from the highway or do you look how far it is from your local masjid and and look I'm being real we make all the decisions that we know that we shouldn't first and then at some point we come back and we regret why didn't I think about this differently you got a great school district you got a wonderful your property value is never going to go down You're right off the highway. It's safe. It's like, you know, got that look like every other house in Texas does. Brick. (laughs) The star. Some random name. McCoy Avenue. But it's 40 minutes from the masjid you like to go to. It's 40 minutes in traffic, 25 without. Every time you think to yourself, should I go? You're like, "Ah, I don't know. But wallah al-azim. The people that come close to Allah, when they look at where they're going to live, they make sure that they literally drop a pin and then they draw a circle and they say, I can't live outside this area. That's, th- that's their devotion, right? And Ibrahim alayhi salam, he says he says this devotion that you have besides Allah makes no sense. You're smart. You're a smart person. You should know better is what he's saying. Now he's won the argument completely. What happens when a person wins an argument? What do we start to do? What? We start to fight. As soon as someone goes, hey, let's go, that means that they can't beat you in an argument. That's why they got to use their, their fist, right? So they say, what? Everybody, quick. We got to quickly build this massive. Fire, we got to burn this guy so that we can serve and we can aid and help our gods. If you really want to do something, now the only choice is to kill Ibrahim. And the narrations, subhanAllah, about this are astounding. That I was reading them to Sheikh Mahmoud. We were sitting in the office and I was just reading the tafsir and I was like getting goosebumps. Let me tell you about some of these narrations, first of all. Okay, now similar to Yusuf and every other prophet, did Ibrahim do anything? Wrong. Did he do anything against Allah that led him to this point? No. So let's go ahead and just put this out there. Allah does not test those who he hates. We need to remind ourselves of this over and over again. Because this test is happening. All he's doing is what he's been told to do. He's a prophet. And at this point, like Sheikh Yasser said last week, the narrations say and they substantiate that at this point he was the only uh, worshipper of Allah I was translating Muslim literally, submitter he was the only worshipper of Allah on the earth at this point there was no one else you know we love representation like you go to Target and see a hijabi you're like yes <laughs> you know you see a guy with a name tag Ali you're like you blink assalamu alaikum <laughs> he's like and then you blink you're like family and friends discount and he's like <laughs> no chance right he looks at me he's like you look like you're part of the FBI anyway so <laughs> a little too soon okay so subhanallah this we love to have someone with us we love to be in company he has nobody so they build this massive fire some of the narrations said it was bigger the fire itself, you know, there's the wood and stuff. The fire itself was the space of, I want you to imagine like a football field. It was a pit as big as a football field. And they said that the flames, the peaks of the flames, went higher than the mountains. So the area had mountains, but the fire was so big. And why they do this? Because they were a mob trying to get rid of Ibrahim A.S. Well. It was so big that they couldn't even like push him in because it was too hot. They actually had to tie him to like a catapult and they had to launch him in. Can you imagine as they're tying him, right? We tell these stories so quickly sometimes. They built a fire, they threw him in and he was good. No, I want you to imagine every second along the way, they apprehend him, they put him in handcuffs, right? They tie him together, they hold him down. He's watching them build the fire. It's his own dad. It's his own people, his neighbors, his family. Talk about betrayal. Then they tie him to the catapult. Do you think like at any point during this experience, any of us would be like, man, Allah, why, why are you letting this happen? Why I've been, I'm just trying to do the right thing. Then they launch him, right? They cut the catapult. They launch him. He's flying through midair. And there's a narration that is quoted in which in this moment, all right, like a movie, I want you to think of slow-mo. His body is flailing through the air towards the fire. And Angel Jibreel comes to him. And time stops. And Jibreel looks at him and says, Do you have any need? Like, it's pretty obvious. Read the room. But he still says, he's an angel. Allah told him, go and ask if he needs help. Ibrahim says, from you? No, I'm good. He says, "Hasbi Allah wa Allah is enough for me. Jibril leaves. All of a sudden, he f- his body goes into the fire. But before his body enters the fire, the ayah in the Quran continues. What's the next ayah? Allah commanded the fire, which its nature is to be hot, burning, scalding, that O oh, fire, Allah is commanding it, Kuni Be cool, and peaceful upon Ibrahim. The narration says that Ibrahim's body entered the fire and the handcuffs they put on him burned but his skin did not. Another narration says that when he entered the fire he sat and he realized that the fire wasn't burning him and he immediately fell into sajda in the fire and he says oh Allah you are one and he says and I am the only one that worships you when I read this I imagine to myself, subhanAllah, this is a statement of sheer loneliness. I mean, we talk about bullying, right? (laughs) This is bullying on steroids. Bullying causes people to want to end their lives. Bullying is something that can take away your sleep and your rest. It can make you anxious, can make you hate living. And this is what he's gone through. And he's physically now in a fire and he's got his head on the dirt. After realizing that his commitment to Allah did not fail him, and he says to Allah, Oh Allah, you are one and I'm the only one. No one else here recognizes you. And then he says to Allah, Hasbi Allah wa How adequate, how perfect is Allah. I place my trust in Him, and what an incredible protector He is. Now you may not be flung into a fire by your father and your village. But how do you respond when you are tested in life? You know, I, there, there was a person that I know who was running for political office, and someone asked him, how do you know you're going to win? How, why are you still running? How do you know you're going to win? Right? And he said, I don't know if I'm going to win, but all I know is that I pray Fedra and my opponents don't. And you know what? We chuckle, but that right there is Abrahamic. Like, you're applying for a promotion. And maybe on paper, like, you don't have what it takes to, like, beat out the other people. But then you say to yourself, oh, Allah, I don't know if on paper I'm going to get it. But, oh, Allah, I know that I wake up for Fajr and I worship you, and I'm not sure if those people do. Now, if they're Muslim, don't say that. So if you're at Microsoft, you can't make this du'a, right? If you're at Google, you can't make it. But you get my point. How many times do you, in the midst of test, use the very thing that can be your point of pain and make it your point of strength. He's alone but he's making it his point of strength. This is how pro- this is how prophetic spirituality works. Prophet Muhammad is being ridiculed, is being tortured, is being mocked, is being kicked out and what does he say? Allahumma ilayka ashku kuwati. Oh Allah, I'm weak. And But I'm only complaining to you. وَهَوَانِي عَلَى النَّاسِ Oh Allah, I'm complaining to you only that these people treat me like this. We could turn around and, and we could utter statements of resentment towards Allah. Why would he do this to me? Instead, a true friend of Allah, becoming what? A friend of Allah means that you don't take moments of pain and use them against Allah, you use them to become closer to Him. And Ibn Ata'illah says this, Ibn Ata'illah says, sometimes, just sometimes, Allah puts you in a moment of pain so that you can wake up and come back to Him. He actually uses the word heartbreak. He uses the word heartbreak. He says, sometimes Allah causes your heart to break so that you realize that you've been drifting far too long for far, far too far for far too long and you have to come back. And in this fire, subhanAllah, Ibrahim a.s. makes this beautiful statement. Another narration which I thought was really amazing was that it is narrated that the Prophet a.s. said that in this very moment that he was in the fire, all of the creation, because there were no humans that were worshipping Allah, but we believe that all of creation worships Allah, all of the creation, like the animals and the birds and everything, Literally, it said in the Arabic, it said that they were blowing on the fire to try to cool it down. The narration, interestingly, it says except for one, the lizard. So, I think we all know why we all hate lizards. Couldn't be a team player in that moment, right? But the point is, subhanAllah, what lesson do we take from that? You are not alone in your moment of difficulty, even if you're physically alone as a person. Allah is sending help. In the Quran, Allah Taala says, "And you, no one knows the soldiers of God except for Him. No one knows." And then Allah subhanahu wa Taala says, "And they plan to harm Him, but we made them the worst losers. Even their surefire plan—no pun intended—surefire." I'll let, I'll let it hit you guys. Okay. Even their surefire plan did not work. Then we delivered him along with loot to the land. We had showered with blessings for all people. And we blessed him with Ishaq and Yaqub as his children, as his progeny, as an additional favor, making them all righteous. So how does a person from this story become a friend of Allah? Number one is that you never ever lose Allah in your life at any moment. You're principled. You make a decision that you know is right, regardless how many people around you are making the wrong choice, which is easier said than done. I'll be honest. It's hard. It's difficult, right? I was at the airport praying, and I was was standing there, and I'm like, man. So I I make a judgment about whether or not I should pray standing about what state I'm in. I know it's weird, but if I'm in Alabama, your boy is sitting while he's praying. (laughs) Okay, <laughs> no offense, no offense, okay? Roll Tide, but not really. I was praying in the airport, and I found, my, I found an anxiousness in my heart as I was starting to pray. And then I remembered, subhanAllah, something my mom told me a long time ago. <laughs> when you have Allah, you have all you need. And I pray, and I just closed my eyes, and I just prayed. I felt myself rushing in the beginning, and then I remembered, okay, and I just prayed. That anxiousness that you feel to make the right choice when you easily could slip into wrong is something that will always bring you closer to Allah. That's what it means to be His friend. Number two, when you're in the midst of a test, you're not going to be test-free. When you're in the midst of a test, what does that test do to you? Does it push you further away or does it bring you closer? What does it do? If you want to become a friend of Allah somehow, some way you have to understand that the test you're in is not pushing you further away from Allah. It's freeing you from the distractions that are distracting you from focusing on him alone, whatever test you have is bringing you closer to him. And number three is that friends of Allah, when they show this commitment through and through, they receive not only the help of good people, they receive the help of all of creation. They receive the dua of all of creation. The hadith says that the, the, the earth witnesses, the leaves witness, the fish in the ocean, the animals witness that you are doing the right thing. I want you to imagine you're praying in the parking lot and all of the grass that's next to you is testifying on the day of judgment that I saw that person praying. The clouds over you are saying that I saw this person praying, testifying on your behalf. All of that comes to your aid when you need it the most. And then as Allah Ta'ala finishes this beautiful passage, your lineage, your legacy, what you leave after you die will follow the path that you set down. Many people in this room maybe haven't started thinking about this, but the number one concern you're going to have in life at some point after you inshallah have kids, if you have kids is I hope to God they follow the straight path. I don't want to be the last Muslim on my family tree. I don't want it to stop with me. I want it to keep going. Part of your kids being able to take the path from you, inherit it, and keep going is that you be principled. And if you don't have kids yet, you're in luck because it's the perfect time to practice. You can't suddenly become principled when you have children. You develop the muscle now, and then, when your family grows, you're able to actually be the person that shows them what principle looks like. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us His friends. We ask Allah Ta'ala to bring us closer to Him, and to allow us to always, always be with Him in times of difficulty, and that we never waver from what we know is right, and that we always turn to Him in moments of trial. We ask Allah Ta'ala to never allow the fires to burn us, but that instead, He protects us, and He makes all of our tests cool and peaceful upon us. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be the recipients of all of the help that creation has to offer. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us that in moments of loneliness that we realize that He is with us. And we ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be those that are blessed enough and lucky enough that those people that we love, our family and our friends, are going to be with us on the path as a result and as a gift of our principle and our connection to Him. Amin, Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhanak Allahu bihamdik wa wa la ilaha illa ant astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk